0: And we are back with part two, uh, with Mark Oppenheimer. So Mark, uh, the first part was about expropriation without compensation. And part two is about freedom of speech. It doesn't seem to be a terribly important freedom for for most people. Uh, Well, not most people. Most people in positions of power. It doesn't seem to be a very important uh, virtue or right. Um, I mean, we both disagree. We're both quite, uh, quite uh, flexible on free speech. Well, you know, flexible in terms of what people are allowed to say without sanction. And then somehow or other, um, after Penny Sparrow's the debacle around her, this hate speech bill came out of nowhere that said, uh, you know, making a lawyer joke is a criminal offence and you should be jailed, <laughs> which is still hilarious that they think that was even possible. <laughs> um... But I see now it's coming back after public participation has happened.
1: Um, has anyone actually seen this piece of legislation? Yeah. So let's get a sense of the landscape. So, yeah. as you say, what happens is after after the Penny Sparrow, um, government sort of seizes on this opportunity to produce rather draconian legislation. Um, it also sort of hijacks the the narrative for a very long time. So we start talking about these um, hate speech cases. Um, at a time when things were really poised against Zuma, so you had a lot of um, protest action against Zuma, um, a lot of anger from all you know, all parties. Um, well, let's not
0: forget it was two weeks after Ninigate, or three yes. weeks after Ninigate, exactly. when
1: Penny Sparrow just popped up out of nowhere. And popped up out of nowhere is exactly that, and we're talking about uh, a <clears> retired <throat> estate agent who lives in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Not talking about some government figure, you know, someone with a lot of power and influence. I mean, really, Penny Sparrow was dug up, you know, as a diversionary tactic. Yep. Okay. Now that's not to condone what she said. What she said was was racist and repugnant. Um, but again, this has seized upon as the opportunity to produce this uh, hate speech bill. Now, a couple of things to be said. The one is that um, the bill basically was latched onto a hate crimes bill. Mm. Now, there's the Hate Crimes Working Committee, which has been around since 2008. Okay. Imagine working for those people. Wow. Well, what they want to do is, I think, quite just. Having looked at that section of the legislation, what you want is to say when you have um, a, an ordinary crime, let's say an assault or vandalism or something mm. that's motivated by hatred um, of a particular vulnerable group, um, that that should be taken into account in sentencing. Okay. So okay. in other words, there's a difference when um, I punch you at a bar um, or I punch you at a bar because you're gay, you know, um, or because you're a Jew, um, or you're an albino. You know, I think it's worse when you're motivated by this hatred. And I think there's good argument to say that this should be taken into account and that um, we we generally think that your mental states do play a role when we're looking at crimes. We don't treat, in other words, killing a human being, it matters whether you do so intentionally mm. or um, through negligence, which are mental states. Of course, of course. So, you know, taking into account your hateful motivation seems fair. Now what happens, of course, is that the hate speech bill is then added onto it. And the hate speech bill is very broad. So as you mentioned, it would make um, jokes about lawyers um, punishable by um, jail time, okay? Now that's nuts. So what it did was it sort of enlarged the definition of hate speech um, to include words that are insulting, that make fun of people, that are that make that ridicule them, and enlists the sort of group, the the group of categories, very broadly. So now, just to pause for a little sec, we've got to get a sense of what the Constitution allows. So Section 16 of the Constitution provides this very generous right to free speech, and it says it can only be limited in three ways. Yeah. One, propaganda for war. Two, the incitement of imminent violence, and three, which is the hate speech clause. Advocacy of hatred on one of four listed grounds: race, gender, ethnicity, and religion, and that constitutes incitement to harm. Okay. So in other words, incitement to harm means there must be a call to action um, to harm people. Okay. Mm. On one of these four grounds. Now, those four grounds were listed um, kind of for historical reasons in that they were particularly vulnerable groups. Um, section 9 of the Constitution is the equality clause, and it talks about discrimination, and it has a much broader category of groups. So um, one of the, the grounds that was listed in the original hate speech bill was um, occupation and a belief. So, if you made fun of someone for their beliefs, um, that would be punishable by jail time. But imagine
0: not being able to mock a Scientologist, sure, yeah, or a
1: Amish person, or someone who believes the Earth is flat,
0: or someone who's a racist. Uh, so someone you who, have to go there. Mark, I'm trying
1: to make it. Uh, innocuous example to show the ridiculousness of, well, but of this belief. Well, the interesting thing, right, is that, <laughs> in other words, you could hold a belief that um, certain racial groups are inferior and I then want to draw a cartoon to mock the racist, okay, for his racist beliefs mm. and this legislation comes after me, right? <laughs> yeah. So it undermines itself. Um, occupation, obviously, is going to include things like politicians. So you want to make fun of the sitting president um, or you want to insult them, um, you could wind up in jail. So very draconian. Yeah, I think maybe Bladen's Monday was uh, a key, a key um, drafter
0: of that provision. He made an argument years ago that uh, insulting the president should be a crime.
1: I wonder if he still holds that belief. I'm not too sure. Sure, maybe it depends on who the president is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting about that is um, this hate crimes working group recently said, hold on a second, this legislation, you know, came out. Um, 2016, and we've heard nothing. There were a whole bunch of submissions that came from civil society. What's happened? Now there were something like 78,000 submissions. Um, Well, civil society saw this legislation um, and said this is seriously dangerous. So you had people from a variety of sectors getting together uh, to fight it. So you had cartoonists, um, stand-up comedians. You had the Free Market Foundation. You had um, AfriForum. You had a number of organisations saying this is very dangerous. Our rights to free speech matter. Um, and they cannot be limited in this unconstitutional way. Yeah, I think even journalists came out of their holes to make submissions, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they did, although their initial line um, was, we need this legislation, it's gonna save the country, it's gonna end racism. And so they started reading the, the bits of legislation and working out the implications. I mean, one of, one of the implications of that legislation was that it would have been a crime to report on genuine acts of hate speech, um, because it made no distinction about the intention that you had when reporting it. Um, so, very dangerous. Now, again, let's step back a little bit. Think about this this right to free speech. Think, okay, well, wh- what's so important about it in the first place, right? Now, a constitutional court has said something interesting, which is that free speech really is one of these foundational values um, that underlies almost all of the others. Yeah. If you don't have the freedom to express your ideas, um, it makes it very hard for all those other things to to be there it's sort of the bedrock of a functioning democracy
0: right I mean I would I would argue that uh, property rights and free speech are probably only f- all other rights flow from those two fundamental well, think about, think ones about
1: part one of our conversation which is on property rights mm. if we don't have the free, free speech to talk about that we can't defend the property rights no but if you don't own the property you don't have free speech
0: You can come to my property, Mark, and I know you never will do that, but if you use a a racial epithet, I wouldn't allow you on. Sure, you can have have some rule like that. Uh, You can go on a conversation on on SABC or wherever, and, and you can be rude to someone, they'll chuck you out. Property rights are fundamental, and free speech flows from the property rights, in my opinion. I think property rights are more important than free speech because you can only have free speech when you have the property rights that go with it. That's a distinction. Maybe that's not relevant.
1: Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But we we all accept that they're both foundational foundational rights. Absolutely. Now, so as I say on the de- democra- the on the democratic bit, you know the idea that we're able to freely express our ideas um, in a democracy means that as a citizen you can work out who you actually <coughs> want to vote for, because everyone can tell you what they're going to do um, freely and without sanction. You can say, hmm, those guys look like a bunch of racists. I don't want to vote for them. Those guys are sure. talking there's some good ideas. You know, I'm keen. Um, you know. The idea of having free, free speech is that it helps you in this quest for, for working out what's actually true. Now we say, okay, well, there's certain things we already know are true. Why allow the false version to be out there? And part of that is because we can run into this dead dogma problem. Okay. So at Oxford and Cambridge, they have debating societies yeah. where they put things that are very well established back on the table for debate. So the idea that, should we have slavery? Now Every sensible person is going to say, obviously, we ought not to have slavery. Well, it depends. <laughs> Just joking, for those who are listening. So the idea is that when you have to combat that idea, yeah. it makes you think about all the reasons why slavery is a bad idea. The idea that we should have invaluable rights to dignity, to you know, personal liberty. The idea that you know, having someone as a slave treats them very badly, that other people matter. So when you put this repugnant idea out there, it reminds you of all the reasons why it is so repugnant. Yeah, I mean, but some people believe slavery is fine as well i mean that's and why we have more slaves
0: today than in most most uh, well, this historical periods interesting thing right we do indeed. actually have a slavery problem in indeed world. a lot uh, yeah 30 30 to 40 million people are slaves today
1: yeah it's absolutely outrageous right? so it's uh, been
0: it's been banned for 150 years or however long it's been but it still persists yeah so it's not a, it's not for me it shouldn't be off the table at any given time
1: yeah in other words we're not even talking about a problem that has ceased to exist for indeed. generations it's an ongoing problem <laughs> yeah and so In other words, if we could have that free conversation and you had someone saying, well, let me tell you about the merits of slavery, and everyone could then explain why it's so bad, it might be a good way of addressing the genuine slavery that goes on around the world, right? Um, Quite. So that's one of the reasons why we should care about this idea of trying to get to the truth. The other one is that there are costs to limiting people's speech. So there are certain kinds of speech that is offensive and hurtful uh, and repugnant and racist. But if we ban it, the problem is that we drive it underground, we remove the steam valve that we would have for people to express these hateful ideas and give them no resort but to act out violently. That's very dangerous. The other thing that's Mm -hmm. useful for us is that if you're the state and you could ask um, all the pedophiles in the state to raise their hand and tell you that they're around, all the bank robbers, that'd be very useful information. Sure. Now, the nice thing about racists is that they do it voluntarily. You know they say they're awful things and we get a sense of society of how many of them are there you know how big a problem is this you know um, and so having that temperature gauge is very useful to society so you can get a sense of you know do we need to to take steps to change these sort of cultural values or is this such a minority problem Mm. you know so that's why it's very important that you let people express these repugnant ideas no
0: indeed and and why wouldn't you want to change a racist mind or yes. a homophobia, homophobic person? Is there a term for someone who's just... No, it's homophobic. There's not homophobist. It doesn't exist uh, really. Oh, yeah, of course, homophobe. Sorry. Yeah. And there's a great case of this. But why wouldn't you want to change their mind? Yeah. I mean, David Irving is a, is a well-known Holocaust denier. Mm. And Austria sentenced him to prison time and he spent years fighting it and he actually went to prison. Just put him up in a public debate with 20,000 people with someone who knows the history, he'll be laughed off the stage and deeply, deeply ashamed of what he believed. And that is far more effective than yep. sending him to prison where he says, you see, I know the truth because they're trying to jail me. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a
1: conspiracy. Yeah, so there's this there's this danger that if you suppress that speech, people go, oh, well, obviously, there must be something to it. Right? Indeed. Um, so Alan <coughs> Dershowitz, um, famous Harvard lawyer, um, wrote interesting, he's a free speech junkie, you know, and he mm. sort of said, there's this problem about the Holocaust denier. He says, you know, if you debate them on a platform, if you know, they get to debate Alan Dershowitz, who has a fair amount of sure. uh, you know, status, that you sort of could be um, giving credence to their cause that this is a topic that's worthy of debate. But he says, you ought not to shy away from it, but there's another way that you deal with it, which is to say, I will debate this with you, and we will go into the evidence, but I want a couple of other um, topics on the thing. One is, is the moon made of green cheese? point out that Holocaust denial is as plausible as that topic right um, so that's one way to sort of undermine the problem but you have the debates and you can point out to people with strong evidence why something like the Holocaust happened and why the Holocaust denier is doing something uh, rather hateful now when you step over from denying the Holocaust to saying we need to have another one okay then I think you've exceeded the bounds. so there I think there's good reason for a state to limit that speech when you're calling for action, mm. when you're saying we need to go and annihilate this people, um, you know, as happened in Rwanda, you know, we know that that sort of genocidal speech ultimately led to action. I mean, people were hacked to death because of that speech. Right. Um, and so there's very good reasons to limit that and to have sanctions for it. Yeah. So. But I th- personally, I think it does depend on the context,
0: though. I mean, if you're in America, Denmark, or England, or any of those places, you say we need a Holocaust against. Ex people it's still a crime in, in europe at least i don't think so in america as far as i'm aware but the probability of that happening is so damn low that it's probably not worth fighting it well it's worth fighting it civilly so to speak but it's not worth making it a crime in in south africa where the bonds of democracy are a lot more fragile perhaps there is a better case to be answered for for like hate speech in that regard
1: This is a complicated question. I mean, I think you're right that the context that you find yourself in should play a role uh, in determining what those bounds are going to be. And so I think if things are more fragile, um, you have to really care about the free speech Mm. um, because it's important that people have this freedom. But um, as I say, so if you look at the three things I mentioned in the Constitution, the classical liberal line is really just B, which is incitement of imminent violence. Right. That's, um, you know, something, when I say there's something really. Awful is going to happen almost now. And in South Africa, we have this lower threshold, which to say, okay, we don't need an imminency factor. It doesn't have to amount to violence. But there must still be a call to harm. you know, um, And so that's already some sort of deviation from a kind of classical liberal principle. <clears throat> um, and one we may think is necessary in a young democracy.
0: Um, one would think, let's give you a sunset clause, Jacques Rousseau Uh, academic at uct argued this to me and it was and made a lot of a lot of sense he's like well just you would just have this clause in the constitution just to ease our way into a a semi-liberal democracy and then once we have achieved that goal we can slowly drop it as a as a uh, barrier to free speech we can you know we can drop that clause of the constitution when necessary um but sort of while, while coming from a very racial nationalistic past, we can maybe it'll make the transition a bit easier if people don't have absolutely free speech.
1: Yeah. So what you so in other words, if we think about the protections that are there currently, you can say hateful things against um, population groups. Um, you can say racist stuff. And mm. as I say, that's useful for us as a young democracy to know about. Absolutely. So and keep our eyes and ears a- a- aware of the problem. It keeps political parties at under 5%. It's very useful. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, so, you know, when Malema says things like, um, uh, what does he say? Chinese people are just as bad as whites and Indians. Right. Okay. So it's useful for us to have that information that he holds these overtly racist views. And it's useful for his voter base to know that because I think very... Few people actually hold deeply racist views, especially it's yeah. Chinese people. I sure. would think. Yeah. Um, but well, you know, there's well. a lot of population groups. I think people aren't, at by nature, deeply racist. I think it's fringe groups that are racist. Right. Um, and so when you know that about the FF, you go, ah, I'm not going to vote for you on that basis. You know. Whereas if they kept it quiet, um, you know, maybe maybe they would ascend to power you know, more rapidly. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So. So there's a new form of this hate speech bill
0: floating around. It passed, I think, in the National Council of Provinces or I the might, other way around. In my the National understanding Assembly. is
1: that Cabinet has produced the bill. Okay? okay. So in other words, it comes from the executive, which they intend on handing over to Parliament okay, as a new iteration. Now, I haven't seen a full copy of the text. There's some reporting from um, uh, John Jeffries stating that there have been changes made. Now, it appears from... The reporting that I've seen that the changes are dramatic, um, that a lot of the really repugnant clauses that were there in the original bill have been removed, and I think a lot of this really has to do with civil society taking, you know, um, you know, coming up and pointing out the problems. So the language in the bill on what hate speech is seems to mirror the constitution to a large degree, and that it talks about advocacy of hatred um, that constitutes incitement to harm. Um, what it does do, which is different, is that it enlarges the the groups. So, as I say, the constitution talks about those four groups. I think here they're now about fifteen. So it includes things like um, albinism, um, uh, sexual orientation, um, class, nationality. So this sort of range of other factors. Now, there might be arguments that um, that as our society is sort of um, Become more inclusive over time. That we ought to take some of these groups into account. Mm-hmm. Um, something like sexual orientation is a good starting point, right? So we know that gay people in South Africa, even though they have the right to marry, when South Africa was the fifth nation on earth to and you know, include that right, um, they are still heavily targeted. So we have corrective rapes in South Africa. You have there was a a guy who was beheaded uh, on the grounds that he was found to be gay. So um, there is something dangerous about um, Homophobic speech, which calls for violence against that community, right? And we might think that they deserve special protection for that, you know, because they're a vulnerable group. Um, two of the things that I gather have fallen away are occupation and belief, so we can avoid this problem about thank goodness, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, about exactly. about
1: jokes about, about people's beliefs and occupation. I yeah,
0: mean, I mean that's essentially that's what that's what lawyer jokes are about. It's there's a the stereotype, and the problem with with uh, with lawyers is that it's the ninety-nine percent that make us look bad, you know exactly exactly yeah <laughs> but do you think there's what is the mischief here that the state is trying to solve or assuage because the the, the Pupuda, our of promotion of something or like other forget the name that's no, the it's, act, yeah. it's the equality act i mean they got you know s- civil recourse for hurt feelings based on listed grounds too why do you think jailing someone for speech? Well, I don't know if it's your if it's your opinion, but why do you think they wish they would now wish to jail someone
1: for speech as well? It feels a little bit uh, heavy-handed. Yeah. So there is a, I mean, I think it's important that if you are going to deprive someone of their liberty, you know, by putting them behind bars, it's a very serious thing, and it must only be done in very serious cases. Now, what Papuda does is. Papuda is a difficult piece of legislation. It creates what are some sort of civil sanctions. So you can have um, basically a person who has been found to have um, performed an act of hate speech um, can be made to pay compensation to um, an organisation that is combating hatred or or hate speech, um, and they can make apologies and they can do civil service and things like that. There's no jail sentence in Papuda. Right. There is. A provision to have a matter referred to the National Prosecuting Authority if another crime was there. Now, what we're finding at the moment is that um, someone like Penny Sparrow, who was sanctioned under Papuda, was also sanctioned um, criminally for criminal right. urea um, and received a suspended jail sentence of two years and a 5,000 Rand fine, in addition to the 150,000 Rand um, compensation that she had to pay out to an organization. Now, the problem with criminal urea is it's common law okay it's not very clear what's what counts um there's not much written on it um it's meant to be a severe impingement of an individual's dignity that's the idea yeah keyword individual individual mm-hmm. yeah um so Whereas
0: her face her racist facebook post was very general very the general right, these people yeah. on the beach yeah are x yeah so unless all ten thousand people on the beach somehow you know later case of criminal
1: Nuri I found it difficult for it to be um, prosecuted and sentenced yeah so there's, there's a problem with the way that the sort of criminal aspects are being dealt with um, which is that there's a feeling that there should be some criminal sanction the tools aren't there okay. Okay. so you might have something that's what you'd rather have then is let's say a piece of legislation that really only caters for those extreme cases where it is genuine acts of hate speech. So in other words, when you're dealing with the Rwanda-style guy who's calling for groups to be hacked to death, um, that there is a criminal sanction for that. Now, it might be in the f- criminal sanctions could be in the form of a fine. It could mm. be in the form of a suspended jail sentence. So in other words, if you do this again, you're actually going to have your liberty taken away from you. And maybe in some very exceptional circumstances, um, you might want actual jail sentences. But I really do think that's the kind of thing that you reserve for the, the worst, worst cases. Well, one would hope.
0: I mean, that that's the, the key for any legislation is the application thereof. Because yeah. um, I see a lot of people moan, okay, I'm moan about this hate speech because I don't think it's required at all. Uh, but then you see in England, uh, someone has been sentenced for hate speech and might face jail time for teaching his government pug how to do a Nazi salute as a joke. Sure. Count Dankula, you know, Uh, what is what is the term when you i can't remember what the term is but i mean you know in other places in the world you you get sent to jail for making a joke sure sure okay in south africa thankfully we know we well not for now no we're close to that
1: well there's a case there was a case in germany so there was a german stand-up who wrote this um limerick about the turkish president right uh, and kind of make fun of him and uh you know I think he's some implication that he had sex with goats or something like that and uh, he laid a complaint in terms of a 300 year old German ordinance that you shall not um, ridicule foreign heads of state Um, and he was prosecuted under this so there's something very worrying about that right so we've got to be very careful about I mean there's cases in Egypt at the moment where people are being um, thrown in jail for for content there's a woman who made a statement that she wouldn't drink the water of the Nile because she thought she might get parasites and this was seen as an attack on the state because the Nile is the sort of sacred thing she went to jail for like six months goodness you know and she was a well-known celebrity right I mean really so you know there's other people who've been uh, prosecuted for you know, content that's deemed too salacious by the state. We've right, there was a pop,
0: a pop star of sorts. I remember, yeah she, was, yeah, she was wearing a revealing
1: dress in the music video or some sort. I think and she puts um, whipped cream on a banana, you know. Um, oh, this, right. was, this was beyond. But, I mean, they go so well together, though. Have you had whipped cream on a banana before? I'm sure it's delicious. It's, it's
0: fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's does a, it's a culinary show, I assume. I know. Our friend um, Jason Webelov just absolutely loves bananas and uh, whipped cream. He loves cream. Yeah. Um, Maybe... Not to eat them, but anyway, anyway, we're getting off track here, Mark. Do you want to get sent to jail for discriminating against gays? Because <laughs> we're on the path. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm worried because I I don't know if the state should have any any right to send someone to jail for speech, no matter how odious. Because if someone does commit an act of violence through speech, then they've committed an act of violence. That is a, that is already a separate
1: crime. Um, so I think we've got two different parties here. So I think, in other words, let's say you're standing in front of the bang mob. Okay? Mm-hmm. They're surrounded by, they're surrounding the Mozambican guys. There was this guy, Ernesto okay, who was burnt alive okay, yep. in 2008. Now, those people that burnt him alive need to go to jail. okay. Absolutely. But if you were standing on the sidelines saying, pour more gasoline, get this filthy foreigner, you know, he needs, needs to be cleansed from our country, you know, I'm okay with that person suffering criminal sanctions. Um, Are you? Yeah, I, 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 think that they've done something deserving of criminal sanctions. There, that you've, you fed into this frenzy of a crowd, and you've led your actions have led to the genuine death of someone else. Um, both parties should be punished for that. And I think we, we must also. This is the problem with the genuine hate speech is that um, we have very current cases of it in South Africa. You know, 2008, 10 years ago, um, you had you know I think it's something like seventy six deaths. Um, are foreigners in South Africa and again what you find is that these things sort of start off quite slowly you know um, and then all of a sudden you know things turn um, and suddenly that community is running for their lives their shops are smashed you know their children are killed um, and so you really need to guard against that Um, and so there's an argument that having Legislation which has some criminal sanction for genuine hate speech, and that's why it's so important we get our definitions right, that we don't just criminalise any speech we don't like, just hateful speech or racist speech. It's got to be this incitement to harm. Yeah, Yeah, that's that sort of significant. Because a lot of people use the Rwandan genocide as an
0: example, Mm. but there's a man called Paul, I think his name's Renovitch, something to that effect. He wrote a few books on Rwanda, and he was there, and he said, you know, it's not a good example to have um, hate speech clauses or hate speech uh, laws because the people that argued against the genocide were killed or jailed there wasn't free flow of ideas here mm. if you had this audacious idea that rwandans belong to the same nation and should live together peacefully you were sent to jail or were killed so there was no reciprocal information there was, yeah. there was uniformity and if you went against that
1: you were killed or jailed. Yeah, so this is this is very important stuff to deal with. If we look at the original bill, one of the things that was caked in there was prosecutorial discretion. So oh, really? you could have had a situation where one person says, um, you know, we need to um, kill all people of European origin, let's say. And the prosecutor said, you know what, that's fine. You know, and someone else says something um, and they're, you know, thrown away you know, behind bars and they lock away the key. You do find this sort of Arbitrary use of the law quite yeah. often. So there's a case in Canada um, So Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin um, who are self-styled radical feminists yeah. um, who wanted to combat pornography on the grounds They believe that a denigrated woman produced a piece of legislation which would um, ban pornographic materials certain pornographic materials Now what were the first things that were seized? Um, um, by the Canadian authorities their books so, Andrew Dworkin had written um, accounts of being raped, and they said, these accounts of your rape are pornographic. Oh And, wow. and okay. they banned it. You um, also found that um, um, content that was gay in character was banned, because they had a reason to say, well, actually, we have a problem with straight material, but we don't really like gays, so we'll ban it under this, or this ordinance. So you often have this differential usage. You find that in South Africa as well, um, that a whole bunch of material is allowed by the Films Publications Board sort of defends a certain kind of sensibility right so um, you can think about the wound for example yeah you know? people felt like well you touched me on my culture so we need to suppress this film you know um, well it's
0: pornographic
1: yeah they classified it as pornographic because it showed a
0: gay causer traditional ritual yeah yeah and that is
1: pornographic somehow um, yeah So we must, as you say, we must always be wary of giving the the state the power. That's what
0: I'm worried about. Okay, the law is the law. We can agree or disagree with the law itself. But the application, especially in this country, is it's not objective. Mm. Um, And I don't feel that even if we change government, that it will be objective. It gives far too much power to anyone. Yeah.
1: Well, this is one of the things that, you know, you really want to live in a society where you have the separation of powers. You know that you don't want uh, a group that is so powerful that they can do whatever they want you know because the problem with you know true believers in their cause is that you know for them utopia is just one bullet away right indeed you know they're happy to make sacrifices for what they deem the greater good and it's important that we temper this stuff so in other words if we think about this this hate speech bill. you really have multiple different parties engaged in it. so you have the executive now, producing a piece of legislation which just going to have to go to Parliament, who's going to have to consider it. You can have civil society again playing some sort of role in tempering it, as they've done before. Ultimately, when it's passed, it'll be adjudicated in the courts. You know, um, those portions of it that are unconstitutional can be struck down. So, we need to kind of you, you need to have this conversation over time um, in the law. You know, from all these different um, centers of power. You know, the problem is, you know, if you live in Venezuela, where you have you know a big man dictator, you know. That law gets put in place and enacted immediately, and they act as judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, for now, it's holding um, the three so called centers of power. Let's hope it continues. So, you semi optimistic that this ball is not the, the
1: draconian. I mean, you haven't seen the final version. Yeah. So, I think it's, but it's you important a, that we look at a draft, right. that we get a true sense of what changes have been made. Is it in line with the Constitution? Um, if it is. Um, you know if it does pass constitutional master then i do think there are these cases which are warranting of criminal sanction then of course we need to be sensitive to what those sanctions are you know you mm. can't they can't be overly draconian you know you can't put, give people uh, life sentences for mere words you know sure uh, but uh yeah i mean a lot of this is going to be in the purview of the courts to decide as well um but yeah it, it is it is a little nuts that there's been reporting on this thing without a draft actually being circulated uh i mean I think as a society, it's important that we have access to primary evidence, you know, because there's so much misinformation that happens. Yes. You know, so much hearsay, this reporting, you know, reporting on another reporter. You know, it's important that we have access to the genuine documents so we can make our minds up. I mean, if we think about our prior conversation about appropriation, some people were labouring under the misapprehension that there was legislation that was enacted already. Yeah. You know, especially um, the American. I mean, the American, the international. Commentates the media yeah. yeah and when we have a conversation we must do it based on evidence so we know what the real state of affairs is so we know what battle to be fighting um, and so I think it's important that people call for this as well to mm. say you know there's nothing wrong with saying to a you know, journalist hey we read your article on on this bill where's the bill? you know can you make it available you know you're talking about law for the benefit of all citizens it should be accessible you know, that's one of the fundamental natures of something being a law is that you're capable of reading it. Yeah. You know, so that we can make our minds up as to whether it's any good. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll be circulated soon. Yes. For for both of our sakes.
0: And everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. You live in a so-called liberal democracy. <laughs> it's important to note. Mark, thank you. Uh, part two is over. And Mark, I mean, thank you. You've stayed here for quite a while. You've explained quite a bit about expropriation and... Uh, Freedom of speech, the pincers of uh, socialism are closing in, but not all is lost quite yet.
1: And the key thing is to be a, a a proper citizen in a democracy, and you know fight for your rights. And thank you for playing that role. I think it's so important the work that you're doing. You know, we have this one of the things that's in this right to free speech is not just the right to express ideas, but to receive them. And I think it's wonderful what you're doing for our democracy. You know, challenging people to think about these often not talked about concepts and to have these discussions and these debates um, and so, I mean, mean, thank you Mark, you're very kind, but the fact that I'm not even a democrat,
0: (laughs) I'm an anarchist at heart and the fact that we're actually even discussing what my rights are is completely unbelievable, they should not be, you know, for discussion in any (laughs) single regard but unfortunately they are and uh, at least we get to hear what the, the truth of these matters are so thank you so much And uh, for all those listening, see you next time.